Hi, I'm Rachel with I Am Raquel Life and Spiritual Coaching. Welcome to I Am Raquel Podcast. I'm so excited to be making the second episode ever. And today I'll be doing my first session with a guest. My special guest today is a lady named Stacy Sylvester, and she is the owner of and creator of the Reach program. Um, Stacy is super important to me. We have known each other for quite a while now, and I think it's going to be an interesting day as we talk about addiction, um, the what causes addiction, types of addiction, the solutions to addiction more so, and that's the most important part. We're really going to dive into the tactical and technical ways that we can help some of these addictive behaviors in ourselves and we're going to talk a little bit about just recovery from life in general um it's it's going to be a fun day and i hope that you guys enjoy so here we go i am raquel podcast So, I want to introduce you guys to somebody super special to me. This is Miss Stacy Sylvester. Hello. Stacy, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself and tell us kind of just who you are, what you're about, and what you do in the world? Sure. Um, so, like she said, my name is Stacy. I am a licensed um, alcohol or licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. Um, have worked in the field for the last 15 years. Um, working with men, women, and young folks, uh, really trying to look at overcoming um, some obstacles. Uh, you know, I used to say it was all about just the drug and the alcohol kind of industry and all of that stuff that went with it. Right. Uh, but now I realize it's more about life, um, overcoming life struggles. Oh, yeah. You know, I heard somebody not too long ago tell me, <clears throat> excuse me, she said, I'm not, I'm not just in recovery from drugs and alcohol, I'm in recovery from life. <laughs> um, and I thought, <laughs> yeah, that life can donkey kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my job is, uh, I, I facilitate an outpatient program um, that touches on a lot of aspects of living. Um, you know, we are completely solution focused or 100% person focused. Um, and, and it's all about helping people find their individual journeys and, and being able to provide a safe platform for families, um, to rebuild, to rekindle, to reconnect. Um, and then also to learn how to love themselves in that journey. Um, and just to kind of connect to a spiritual side of who they are. Perfect. So tell me about what what does the population look like? What kind of people do you normally help and where do they come from? How do you find um, the people that fit in to your groups and are? Well, you know, I kind of think it's an interesting question because I think we touch all people because mm-hmm. addiction touches all people. Um, yeah. You know, we touch <clears throat> my youngest current um, participant is eight. Um, because I work with the families of folks who have dealt with addiction or are currently dealing with addiction. You know, so if I have a parent whose child is struggling, um, they come. They come and see me and we hang mm-hmm. out and we talk. And, um, and I think my oldest is like has been in their 80s. Um, in terms of the program and do men, women, youth. I mean, we work with just about everybody. Um, in terms of referrals, you know, we do a family drug court um, called FMBA. It's Families Moving Beyond Abuse. Um, we do a teen drug court, uh, which is a Bullock County teen court. Um, we're getting ready to go into Hardin County and do the Hardin County Family Drug Court. Um, and so we work with the school systems. You know, it, when you talk about the population, I feel like we touch anybody that the light can touch, um, if that makes sense. Uh, anywhere yeah. that I go, anywhere that our participants go in terms of our alumni, um, I think that they touch people. Um, and so, although there's a sense that we get a lot of referrals in from like court of folks or officials, really, I think that people are drawn to what we have. Um, truth be told, a lot of our participants, a lot of our family members come as a result of seeing it work in somebody else's life. And so they'll right. say, hey, my neighbor or my cousin or my friend or this or that, you know, they really want to come and talk to you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, my women's groups, especially. 
yeah. has a very strong pull to it, you know, and it's transitioned a long time ago. Yes, we are drug and alcohol by label. However, um, that particular group has transitioned into a women's empowerment group a long time ago. Right. Um, and so the empowered women in that group, just by nature of being who they are, draw people to them because somebody sees them are like, man, I don't know where you got what you got, but I want some of it. Right. Um, and that's how they're kind of drawn in. So um, anybody that follows me on social media knows probably knows about my history with addiction and I participated in that's how we met was I was a participant in one of your very first women's groups. I think it was the first the one. The first. Yeah. <laughs> um, at that point in time, you worked at a local mental health organization, correct? So can you tell me about how the work differs? So REACH is your own program. Yes. This was created and designed by you mm-hmm. and has kind of evolved over time into this amazing thing that's branching out into um, acquiring t- like more team members and just growing into this big entity of its own. So can you tell me how what you do and your vision has changed as from like the very beginnings from like when I got to participate in these groups with you to now like what it is as its own thing where you have maybe more freedom and less rules and you know about um, where it's more of um, like your complete vision. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> so one of the things that transitioning solely into private practice did for me is it took the ceiling down. Sure. You know, um, and yeah. really when you're in a local mental health agency like that, even though I was in a position where I was running that program there, mm-hmm. I still had a glass ceiling. It was like you could see stuff that was just outside your reach, but you needed to ask permission and, and people needed to say it was valuable enough and people needed to say, you know, that they were going to green light whatever your vision and your goal was. And I am a completely outside the box person. I am one of those. Mm-hmm. Not There is not one stop shop to recovery. There I is not for that. <laughs> there, <laughs> she is. She's telling the yeah. truth. There's not this place where you go to where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go this mile, but I'm not going to go that mile. You know, when you work for an agency like that, they dictate to you um, what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So I think what happened is, you know, when I moved into private practice, not only did it empower me, of course, we held, we're held to laws and regulations. Mm-hmm. Like, don't let me right. get outside that. You know, we're held to very specific laws and regulations by what the what my licensure says, right. what the board says, not because they somebody just doesn't like it or doesn't think it's a good idea. Right. Um, and so, so she's still professional. Right. So she yeah, she follows the laws. Yeah, Don't nobody call no cops. Right. Yeah, yeah. We're still subscribing <laughs> to all of the expectations. You know, I worked too hard for it. I'm not giving it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that means is, is when somebody asks me, "Hey, can you come and speak here, or can you come and speak there?" If it's in my spirit and I'm and want to, mm-hmm. then I can. I'm not forced to say or dance or put on a performance that somebody else is saying, hey, you need to buy into this when that is not my story. And that's not what I buy into. And so it gives me the power to empower my groups, um, especially alumni. So our alumni are the men and women who have graduated and finished the program. They're staying sober, they're maintaining. And these are the guys who come back every week, every month, that they give back. They they give folks rides to meetings or they give people rides to treatment. You know, if I have a newcomer come in who's like, I'm struggling, I really want to go to recovery or I really want to go into inpatient but I don't have a ride. I can call one of these guys. They'll come get them, never met them before in their lives, put them in their car and take them. Right. You know, um, our alumni association is one of the things I am the most proud of um, because, you know, these guys are out here and they're raising money and they're doing all this stuff to increase the program's family component. And so when you ask like what happened, one of the biggest differences was that we started to be able to say, yes, I started to say, no, I started to really do what was true to my spirit. And so one of the things we do a lot of as we go into the schools um, and my, my alumni will stand up in front of that school system. They'll stand up for those students and those teachers and the, and they'll share their stories. And it is the most powerful experience. There is not one time I've done it from going to the Bullitt County schools. We just now got invited to Nelson County school. So they've been going there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've talked to six through 12th graders and there is nothing more empowering than standing in front of an audience of 76 graders sitting in these bleachers in this gym. And you're looking over at this woman who you have seen come from hell, who you have watched walk into your door in this moment of despair, you know, watched walk into this door where both their babies have been taken away, their babies tested positive, you know, they're they're assault victims, they've been, you know, they've gone through hell. 
and take this microphone and stand in front of these kids and deliver a speech like you have never seen before. Take their shame story and be willing to walk through it to help anybody else in the audience who can understand. That is so empowering. And that's something with me being able to stand here that I get to do. It's not I have to do it. It's not that I need to do it. It's not that they're making me do it, but that I get to be present. Right. Um, and I think that's been one of the biggest differences is that it pulls it away from it being a job. Wow. And it puts it into context of being a right, a life, wow. a journey. I mean, I think that's been the biggest change. That was a very long answer. <laughs> I love that answer because I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I just recently, you know, start shifting into, um, you know, fully working for myself and like this entrepreneur sort of mindset. And that, I think that's big, been one of the biggest things for me is being able to be spirit driven, like you were talking about and um, say yes in those moments that feel right. And yeah and be guided based on that sort of inner guidance instead of based on all of these other things in the physical world. Well, absolutely. Right? You know, that's a scary jump. You know, when you leave a guarantee, mm -hmm. you're guaranteed an income, you're guaranteed, you know, it's a, there's like this, um, this very funny moment of balance, like when you have to sacrifice. And so when I left community mental health, that was a guaranteed paycheck. That was guaranteed days off. That was guaranteed sick time. That was guaranteed paid vacation time. time. Paid. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, it was guaranteed. Mm -hmm. It was guaranteed. I was going to make the same amount of money, no matter if one client came or a hundred, yep. you know? Um, but for me, I got to this point where I knew I was no longer supposed to be there. Yeah. You know, when he, I knew. Talk about that. How'd you know? How'd you know it was the time? Like for anybody else that might be going through that mm -hmm. sort of shift in, in that time period where God's calling them and saying, Mm -hmm. How's the time? How do you know? Um, for me, I could feel it in my spirit. You know, um, I could, I could just, I could feel that tug. I could feel, you know, I started my practice in 2013. I didn't leave until 2016. So in those three years, um, you know, I was, I would like to say I was building, but I don't think I was consciously building at that time. Okay. If that makes sense. Like I didn't have a oh, three year plan. I'm going to leave. It right. was like, okay, so the company and agency that you work for is going in a direction you absolutely disagree with. Mm -hmm. The leadership of this company is not, they're not falling in sync with your spirit. Okay. You are coming to work with dread in your heart about not the work, but about the environment. And it was like, at one point I finally came to this position, like, why am I doing this when I don't have to? The fear right. is taking the leap, but on the flip side to it, man, I have leapt many times in my life. And although I might, I, I might have fallen, mm -hmm. I have never stopped. Right. And so, you know, it's funny because Steve Harvey has this vi video clip and it is what it is. I don't know his story, but anyway, he's got this video clip and it's uh, called parachute. Mm -hmm. And it was one of my favorite ones because he talks in theory about how, he talks about there's two kinds of people. There's those of us who live on the edge of life and there are those who jump off the cliff. And he was like, you know, those of us who live on the edge of life, we live a life of existence like we survive and we're living. He said, but we are always envious of those who soar. Well, you can't soar mm -hmm. if you don't jump. Sure. And so he said, there's no guarantees that once you jump that your parachute's going to open right away. You might hit the jagged edges and you might bump and fall. He's like, but if you don't jump, you're guaranteed to never soar. He's like, so that's the sacrifice. Either you're willing to get some bumps and bruises in the fall mm -hmm. for the for the moment when your parachute opens and you soar, or you just stand. And I remember thinking, oh, hell. Damn, Steve Harvey. Yeah, damn you, Steve. <laughs> My thought was, <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to soar. I think I've said this to you before. I mean, I didn't want to stand still. I think I've said this to you before, like, it blows me away how many people have said to me, you have built so much on just at that time I had a bachelor's degree in the mm -hmm. CADC. They're like, you've right. built an empire on nothing. Ooh. Really? Right. To call it nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, you've built an empire on, you know, people go to school and get what, master's bachelor's levels. degree and, is nothing anymore? Yeah, like, really? <laughs> but they were like, you've built it, you know, you built it on, you didn't have a master's degree. You didn't have a license. You didn't mm -hmm. have financial backing. I don't have anybody pay. Girl, I started this program in a rolling suitcase, borrowing people's offices, rolling <laughs> up and down the hallway. Like, mm -hmm. that's how we started. Mm -hmm. They're like, uh, you, okay. I mean, that's literally how we started in these tiny rooms in a rolling suitcase that people just let me borrow. 
Amazing. And now we have three offices in six years. Amazing. So in these last few minutes, uh, uh, before we have to go to a little break, um, I want to talk about um, the difference between what addiction looks like and what recovery looks like. So for anybody, like especially like parents and things like that, who might have their kiddos like going through this, um, what are those two different pictures? And um, also, what does somebody do as a, a loved one of an addict hmm. to help? Well, I think addiction, the best picture that I can describe it as, addiction for me embodies everything related to disconnection isolation um that that whole in my mind the only word that keeps coming to mind is darkness um it's that appearance of existence but not living it's when you look in somebody's eyes and the light is out it is you know somebody who you can see that inner turmoil it's that person who is present but not really present um, you know, when I think about addiction, for the longest time, they used to say the opposite of addiction was recovery, and I don't agree with that anymore. Um, you know, I think that the opposite of addiction is connection, and how we stay connected is our recovery journey, um, which is why you see people who are successful in NAAA, CA, celebrate mm-hmm. recovery, churches, right. family systems, alumni. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many ways. But what I have found is that it wasn't necessarily the vessel. That people stayed connected through that mattered what mattered was that they were connected that um you know i think addiction is the epitome of a lack of sense of love and belonging right that it's this picture of like i don't fit here i never fit here i don't fit in my own skin i don't fit in my own spirit i don't fit in this place um i think recovery is the willingness to put a round peg in a square hole you know like it's kind of like I don't I don't fit here but I'm okay with being around still mm-hmm. like I'm okay with self right. no okay. matter where I am does okay. that make sense so like acceptance and self-love and mm-hmm. self-acceptance so tell me about because uh, tell me about why is addiction your purpose like why is this became your passion and and what, how you wanted to serve in the world I don't know that I would, I don't know that I can say that I did. I don't know that I can say like that this was what I per se wanted. Mm-hmm. I think this is what I was called to. Okay. Um, you know, when I look back over my life, all of my life experiences have shaped me and put me right where I'm supposed to be. You know, for the longest time, I wanted to be a family court judge. And so my desire to be a family, and I'm talking from my own experience. Mm-hmm. So growing up around, you know, that experience and living in in poverty stricken neighborhoods and being in, you know, low income schools and growing up poor and just having these struggles um, in my life experience, you know, my life experience with alcohol, my life experience with my loved ones dealing with addiction, you know, my own stuff. Um, like I said earlier, I think we all recovery from life because it can donkey kick. Right. I'm not exempt. Right. Um, but I think I wanted to go into family court for a long time. And then when I started working with drug court, um, drug court back in 2007 put me in direct position to see the court as it functioned. But it also put me in direct line with direct care, working with families, working mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Like I was just I don't know, like I ever sat back and thought, man, someday I want right. to do this. I think it called me. It just it called me. My purpose is like, hold on, this you're you're on the right. It's like you're in the right store, but the wrong aisle. Okay. Does that make sense? And so you just knew because you felt it again. Mm-hmm. Can I'm you very, talk about that feeling? Like how? Where uh, where do you feel it in your body? How do you? What what kind of things happen in your mind? How like somebody else can relate to what it feels like to have that sense of knowing about something? I think it is an overall. I think it's an overall nudge first. And I think as you engage on that path, it I don't know, like the best way I can I'm trying to think of, like the best way I can describe it is in those moments I know what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to do. I almost feel at times like I could burst into a thousand like spectacles. Wow. <laughs> like it feels so bizarre. Great I mean, We all know what that feels like. Just kidding. No, yeah. <laughs> no, but really like like the other night I walked out like during that festival festival we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I walked out onto this I walked out onto the step. This is so I mean it was powerful. She's, she's talking about um we just had 
for the REACH program, a fall festival, like a trunk or treat for the families and the kids of um, the program. Yeah, we had over 100 people show up um, really with their cool. kids and their families and with pumpkin launches. So there was this God moment. And like, that's the best way I can describe it. And it's God of my understanding, not a push of belief on mm-hmm. other people. But I walked out onto the front porch of our office where I'm a little bit higher than the, where everybody was. And I saw like my teenagers. So I work with a youth group that comes from a residential program and they are some of the most severe quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, These guys have had horrific life histories and in return have made some really bad decisions in their lives and they are um, level five. So they're the most severely again, quote unquote, I hate that task. I I hate that word at risk. I call them at promise. Mm -hmm. They are the ones who have the most promise. But anyway, Mm. these guys have been labeled and they're from all over the place. So I walk out onto the porch and I see them and they're out there playing football with these little kids and they're throwing the ball and they're laughing and they're running around. And one of the boys is trying to get a girl's number. And like, (laughs) but I'm standing from this place and I'm watching everything. Yeah. And I'm watching and I have this overwhelming feeling of this is family. This Mm -hmm. is what it is all about. Your job in this world is not to be the best or to be the most whatever. My job is legitimately to be the vessel that connects that darkness to light, um, to be the light, to draw people to it, and then to give them a little piece of what I got. And I stood up on the stage and it was the most powerful moment because I had this thought and I thought, even if only one fourth of these men and women get it, you know, as I look over, even if only one fourth of the people who are here in this place get it today, we have changed lives. Like legitimately, no, there is no way around saying that these kids, these families have an opportunity that they might not have ever had. And we're doing that. And so like, I, I don't know, like, I I wish I could explain to you like when it happened or how it happened. I just know what I know because I've seen so much and I've experienced so much and I feel it all over. Yeah. And so it's in those moments, like I said, when I literally feel like I could just bust into a thousand light particles Mm -hmm. because you look over it and you're like, in this moment, you participated. I didn't do it for them. I didn't, you know, I'm not some like God complex. I got to participate Mm -hmm. in whatever this journey is. And in this moment, these kids are looking at these adults as if they are the most amazing things they've ever seen. You know, I'm watching these little kids run with their moms and dads and and they're just, you know, I watch them launch the pumpkin and those kids are so excited and they look back and the first person they look for is mom to show them how they launched the pumpkin or, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, that's, that's just amazing. And so we'll, take this time to go to our break because I feel like I could burst into tears right now. So so amazing. Um, When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the technical side of addiction. But right now we've got a word from our sponsors. All right, so we're back, still here with Stacy Sylvester, and we're going to talk a little bit more about addiction. So addiction comes in all forms, and I think that's something that most people know and understand. Can you talk to me about um, the various types of addiction that you've seen? And you, so you work primarily with like the addiction of drugs and alcohol. Do you feel like that is um, comes in connection with and related with? other types of addictions and do you um, feel like the solutions are the same for all of them? Uh, You know, oddly enough, I feel like especially with the folks that I work with, um, although we'll say that the, like in terms of like a technical definition of addiction, obviously addiction to drugs and alcohol are different. It's defined by something different. Um, but I think that when I think about the negative influences and the continued behavior and the compulsions and the habitual decision-making, um, a lot of our folks are addicted to toxic people. 
Um, you know, they're addicted to toxic relationships. Okay. Um, people can become addicted to toxic behaviors even in recovery. You know, they stop using drugs and alcohol, um, but are addicted to mindsets. Um, and are addicted to thinking patterns um, that keep them kind of spiraling and stuck. And a lot of times that manifests itself in um, Facebook and social media. You know, the use of Facebook and social media is a consistent way now where they're addicted to cell phones or addicted to food. Food is mm -hmm. another big one. Um, gambling is a big deal. Uh, people become, become addicted or obsessive about working and they can even become obsessive about meetings. You know, um, suddenly they want to be yeah. like robo meeting attender and you're like, you're not even getting it. <laughs> Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it feels like. People are just like, oh, well, I can't use drugs and alcohol. So now I'll go to 25,000 meetings every single day. And I, it's, they're not getting it. They're just replacing it. I have it. never done that. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea what you mean by that. What? What are you talking about? Um, but you know, in terms of that kind of stuff, like you said, it, it, food and, and um, social media is a big one. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of times social media feeds that negative thinking. You know, it feeds the, oh, I'm not good enough. Or, I'm on there and I'm seeing other people and what they're doing, how exciting. And it just feeds that, you know, um, just kind of like going to, if I'm not feeling worthy enough or whatever, instead of getting high, I go onto this you know, YouTube or I go onto these things and I look up stuff that continues to perpetuate the negativity. What well, you know, I, I'm not like my sister and I'm not like this one. And look at these people with their pictures of their kids and look at this house and look at the, and I'm just not good enough. Right. Um, and so it kind of keeps people stuck in their circle. Okay. So you mentioned this like addiction to the internet and to social media. So that was something huge that I wanted to talk about today. Um, what is because I feel like addiction has changed like when I think about um, the things that like my like parents and grandparents talk about well like we didn't have all this you know we we just drink or you know people might have smoked a little weed here and there but like we you know nobody would do this kind of stuff you know in terms of like harder drugs heroin cocaine and methamphetamine and um, how do you feel like that there's a correlation between our like instant access to communication and connection with all these other people in this in that sense of um like being able to contact people easily through social media and things like this. is there a correlation between the use of social media and the internet and drug addiction i do but i don't think i do in the way that i think you're alluding to okay um like i don't think that i don't think that addiction is traveling faster or the use of substances is traveling like through right, more yeah. connection. I think what is happening is that the use of social media is, although it is the easiest and most accessible way to connect to people, it also feeds disconnection in the sense of loneliness. Because if you look at research, research will say that the United States is the most, um, we have the most resources and we have the most access to others. Mm -hmm. And yet we report the highest levels of loneliness. We have the biggest homes and yet we have the least amount of family time. Wow. Um, and so although we have social media and we have access to connections, that our connections are not honest or authentic. Um, that in, although it's easy for me to reach out to people, um, it's it equally as easy for people to disconnect from me and shut me out, mm. um, without explanation, without connection. And so I think there's this fear of, well, I can be whoever I want. I can pretend to be, um, behind a keyboard. Mm -hmm. And if you start to touch buttons on who I really am, then I can just disconnect. I can just erase you from my life. You know, um, I think that. Drug and alcohol use has always been there. I think it's more present, like uh, in terms of a presence that has a mm -hmm. higher awareness because of social media, because people are more open to talking about it. You know, there's more meetings and there's more discussions and, you know, there's more contact. But the truth of the matter is, people have been getting high forever. Mm -hmm. You know, people have been getting drunk forever. That's not a new, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? I think that, you know, it's kind of this idea where people are like, oh, well, a good example is I remember reading this article that said, do you think that um, 
there's more domestic violence now than there has ever been? And the answer was no. That people have reported things like domestic violence for centuries. What's different now is it's more prevalent. We know more about it because of social media. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yes, that absolutely makes sense. And so something popped in my head. It was like almost like how that social media creates like a false connection. Do you believe that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because think about it like this. I'm like, I'll ask my youth, especially my youth will have, you know, it's so important. I have 600 friends and I have so many likes and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, cool. When you're having a bad night, who do you call? Nobody. Wow. It's important for me to look like I got somebody versus it's more important. The, 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 the illusion of connection Mm. is more important than the truth of connection. Wow. Does that make sense? That makes absolutely And so that's not, I mean, that's true across the board. You know, that's true. It's more important for me to appear as if I have than it is for me to have. It's quantity instead of quality. Um, and I think that's exactly, that's what social media is all about. How many likes did I get? How many comments? How many friends? How many, you know, um, mm-hmm. and in truth, man, like, and that's why I said, like, we can turn to be whoever I want. You know, how many times have you been on the phone and not been okay and somebody called you? I'm like, Rachel, you're doing okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. You can be bawling your eyes out. How do they know? Right. So let's talk about um, real connection. So let's say somebody on the other end, you know, listening to this podcast is struggling with that. And they're like, oh crap, like Stacy just called me out. I mean, I've been doing that. That's me. Like, I've got 600 friends on Facebook, but I don't have anybody to call and I want to create that in my life. How do I do that? Well, I think the first part of it and this is, I guess, sort of a personal story. I'll say it like this to his people. Um, one of the biggest reasons that I find that most people don't want to connect is because I don't care who you are, suffering is a part of connection. In order for me to truly connect, you have to accept the fact that suffering is possible because you may not want that. So people live, people die, stuff happens. Um, and so suffering... <laughs> well, suffering is, you know, it's almost like trying to pick up one side of the coin. And so I'll share this story with you. Um, I met a guy, uh, it's probably like six, seven years ago. Um, and he had a, an issue with alcohol. And uh, in a long story short, his soulmate was his wife and she was dying. She died from cancer. And he told me that as she was dying, that his alcoholism continued to increase, like the severity of it. And I remember at the very like first meeting, him and I sat down and talked and he was a, an older guy. And he was like, look, you know, um, I watched her die, you know, so on and so forth. And so I asked him this question and I think it blew him away. I said, if you knew how much you were going to suffer, would you have not, would you have chosen to not love her? If you could have chosen, if somebody could have said, look, you're going to have the most intense love you've ever had, you know, the most authentic and love and real and raw love you'll ever have. But when it's gone, you will feel the greatest suffering you have ever felt. Hmm. Would you have opted out? Would you have said, no, thanks, I'll pass. And it took him, it took him a minute and he said, you know, I would have been willing to continue to suffer to have those moments with her because she was my soulmate. Most of us opt out. Most of us will opt out of connection because suffering is an inevitable part of that. You know, I wanted so bad to have a mom's lover. I wanted so bad to have a dad's lover. I wanted so bad to have a family. I wanted so bad. And when that, those things came with suffering, it taught us that connection hurts. And so my mind was, oh, let me wall up. I'll never do that again. You know, this is a story I hear from people like, you know, um, I'm going to shut down. And so I think for me, one of the things is, is people ask me all the time. I connect to every single person that comes in this fellowship. They're like, what if you die? Well, in the moments I was connected to him, it was worth it to me. I became really good at suffering, as weird as that might sound. Mm -hmm. And I have a good relationship with a God of my understanding, and I don't keep that stuff personal. Right. Right. Um, and so for me, that's what helps me to do connection. I don't take on responsibility of other people's journey. And so when I think about how do I connect to people, like how do you form that? Yeah. Like if you go, if you have no connection, if you feel that loneliness, like you mm-hmm. say, all, you know, the, there's so many people in our country that are going through this problem with loneliness. How do you go from no connection 
Well, my first thing would be I have to connect to self. We don't even date ourselves. We don't even know what we like. Because when I feel an emotion, I, I'm quick to put a Band-Aid on it. When I have a bad day, I'm like, let me get a cheeseburger and a big, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> let me, we struggle. Somebody's eating a cheeseburger let right me, now listening yeah. to this podcast in their car. Like, oh, crap. let me mindlessly watch hours of TV that just sucks the life out of my mind. Let me get on mm-hmm. Facebook and fall into the dark hole of Facebook for hours. I mean, really. Goodness. We struggle with connection to self because when it's uncomfortable, we have been taught that we should not have to suffer. We are in a country that says that you deserve to never suffer. You do what you want to do. I mean, think about it. We're the most instant gratification country I've ever seen. You don't like how you feel, look, or do. So you take a pill, take a this, take a surgery, cut, you know what I'm saying? Like there is an instant gratification process that comes into effect. And so the first step is let me get real honest with me about me. You know, um, I I met this man who was like, look, you want to get a master's degree, delete Facebook. (laughs) And I was like, really? And he wasn't kidding. I haven't had social media in almost four years. Right. And he wasn't joking. He said, I, he was an older guy. He was like in his seventies. And he's like, look, I got a master's degree. And all I did was replace the time I watched TV and studied. Oh my. And he was serious. Wow. And I was like, no way. So I shut Facebook off and I got a master's degree. Woo. time that we spend yeah, just yeah. doing whatever right you know um yeah we all have the same 24 hours in every day it's absolutely just about how you use it right? how you invest what what so if my life is a bank and i get 24 deposits a day what am i depositing you know um and and i think that's crazy because the flip side to it is it's also valuable in what we withdraw so where i spend my time is valuable to me You know, connection is in making eye contact with the person that I walk past and saying good morning. Mm -hmm. Connection is in when I walk up to the the teller or when I will go into the grocery store or when I go into whatever and I'm on the telephone and I'm going to speak to a person that I speak. Connection is going to the person and not the Mm self-checkout. So in the little moments of the day, Mm -hmm. it's a teacher. There's opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's what I've found about connect I, I feel like I've went through that what you're talking about you know in my journey with inter- being connected learning how to be connected to myself and, and to other people because that was something I had to, I definitely had to learn how to do and it was definitely in those little moments like there's opportunities all these opportunities for connection it's like did you say yes or do you say no absolutely this opportunity I mean with our children connection is going to the park and playing with them instead of being on the phone Mm-hmm. Connection is about being in the car and having a conversation versus being a thousand miles away. You know, connection is, it's one of those things, like I said, the hard part about it is that suffering is absolutely a part of it. You know, um, any parent that's ever had their kids that's old enough, that's like, you love your kids, you do all this stuff for them. And the one thing that you feel like, that they feel like you didn't do, they're like, I hate you, you're the meanest mom ever. Well, great. Suffering is a part of connection. It just is. Mm-hmm. There is no way around it. Um, because we're not powerful enough to control the other person. I'd love to say there's a guarantee that that person will stick and stay, but you can't. There's no guarantee. And so do you say yes anyway? Right. Are you willing to suffer? You know, are you willing to put the work in without a legitimate guarantee that it will come back? So one more, one more thing in this segment and then we'll move on. But I want to talk about because I love social media. So we, we've talked a lot about how it's negative, right? I love social media. I use it. I literally built an entire business based on the use of social media yeah. and found clients based on social media. And I help people every day through social media and like, you know, this podcast, YouTube with all, all of these things I feel like has enabled people to be able to do amazing things that they could have never done sure. before having these kind of platforms um i'm getting ready to publish a book thanks to the internet like i would have never been able to publish a book if it wasn't for you know our media and social media and the internet and the way that things are set up now so i feel like it's so helpful on the flip side that you know it's it's this tool it's this thing that we can like anything else in life right we can either use it in a negative way or we can use it in a positive way so Talk about that. How do we balance? What do you feel like the internet's good for? How do you feel like um, it's beneficial in that way? And what do you feel like 
we can do if it's if it's something that we we don't want to just cut out of our lives because see I've had to learn how to balance things right because I have that tendency right to overuse things in my life like I said you know my obviously my my journey started with addiction um seeing you for addiction and I've had to learn how do I balance things because I can't just cut everything out of my life that I tend to overuse, sure. right? So I've had to learn how to stay in the middle and use something an appropriate amount and then stop. Right. So what if somebody is struggling with some with, you know, be having these addictive and obsessive tendencies towards something that they can't just cut out? Right, like per, having a, an, a codependency to somebody that you can't just walk away from. You know, what if somebody's codependent on your child? You can't just walk away from your child. You can't just, you know, if you use your internet for work, you can't just turn it off. So, how? What is it? What about that? What about balance in terms of addiction? And right, because we can't meal? just quit eating. Right, we can't just quit eating. <laughs> right, right? we got to learn to balance that shit. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, I, I think this. I think that the first step of it is being one hundred percent honest about where I'm at you know what I mean I think that that's what the initial struggle is is that I have to at least acknowledge it to become aware of what my real story is you know um, it's hard for me to balance something that I pretend isn't problematic um, so that would be the first part <laughs> I mean like I, I have yeah. to at least say okay maybe this is a little bit of an issue these are the consequences I'm dealing with and maybe I need to actively pursue balance mm-hmm. um, so I think that's the first part the second part of it is is I'm a huge proponent of support groups you know I'm a big fan of okay so if I struggle with balancing this to begin with there's nothing wrong with reaching out and asking people to help you do that you know um, or putting in there may be limitations you know um, there are restrictions on computers there are restrictions on things that can provide us warnings provide not warnings but not the reviews um, reminders is better mm-hmm. um, that I self-create that says you've been on here for an hour or that you've been you know what I mean it could be an alarm that says get up and move you know just do some stuff so that it will trigger this desire to make some changes right um but i really think that in in terms of that the first part of it is going to be about awareness like i have to be honest about where i'm at in terms of like the social media no i don't think it's all bad um i think that when you think about program or not programs when you think about populations like our teenagers they are probably the most heavily influenced by youtube you know, they are the most heavily influenced by um, having access to social media. Um, and so when you start talking about carrying a message and getting some of those things ingrained, mm-hmm. you know, think about it like this. All of our trends start with YouTubers. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a entourage of teenage girls right now who make these bizarre noises and whatever because of <laughs> some YouTuber they watch. And I'm like, www.youtube.com slash I am Raquel, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And they teach me like, they're teaching me. Shameless plug. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Well, they're teaching me like TikTok dances and stuff and they're so funny. Like I want my kids, like they crack me up. And so I think that that stuff can be used in a positive way. You know, I use YouTube every day. Um, I watch um, you know, TED Talk, I watch, you know, so we talk about internet um, and, and we'll talk about that. But I think I keep kicking back to it. It's about what I use it for. Mm-hmm. And I think I kick it back to what it is that understand that anything I put into my brain is influencing my outcomes, you know. Um, and so I have to be mindful, like what I am putting in has an influence on what I'm like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing when enough is enough, you know, I, I think I've said before, like, and this isn't necessarily just social media, but I guess it will be sort of, um, you know, if I want to be sober and I want to live a different life and I want to build a life worth living, I probably don't want to surround my life with music and videos and songs that talk about drugs and alcohol and selling drugs and living it. You know, if I want to be free, like I, I, I jokingly say this to my folks all the time. If I want to be free and I don't, you know, I'm on probation or parole or whatever, and I don't want to live in it. Why is Orange is the New Black my favorite show? If I want to be drug and alcohol free, why am I watching Breaking Bad? Like that's the best stuff I've ever seen. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard because I'm saying this but i'm perpetuating a different decision you know i'm I'm plugging that stuff in i'm investing so i think it's just about like you were talking about balance i'm thinking like it's what i put into my mind is what it's going to manifest i don't know if that answers your question i think it did (laughs) it's like thanks for all that random information all right so it's time for a break here's a word from our sponsors 
All right, and we are back with Miss Stacy Sylvester, and we are going to talk a little bit about the spiritual roots of addiction. So I am a firm believer, and I know that you share similar beliefs to me in regards to this, about that there's a spiritual root to any ailment or illness or, or thing that we can kind of be going through, that there's a spiritual side to that. Can you talk to me about the spiritual roots of addiction and how spirituality um, kind of relates to addiction and, and more so to the recovery and healing of addiction? Yeah, so I guess the first thing to say, um, because it's one of the struggles that most people come in um, when they come into the program, is there's a confusion between spirituality and religion. Religion is a set guidelines of expectations. Um, you know, religions are about um, the culture and, for lack of better words, kind of this... Um, I hate to use it this way, but like a policy and procedure process on how to follow certain beliefs, how to follow certain doctrines and so on and so forth. Spirituality is about how I see myself in my world. You know, spirituality is about how I see me, how I interact, my intimacy, my, my in touch, my in tune with self. Okay. Um, in my opinion. Um, and of course, it's just that. Uh, but I think, you know, the longer that I engage in my own journey, the longer I engage with people, um, just this whole path has really taught me to look more about our sense of love and belonging. You know, I think, um, as you said, that things are root. I think that addiction at many times can be a secondary response to um, somewhere along my journey that I lost or altered my sense of love and belonging. That somehow I, somehow I failed to feel like I fit into that world, into mm -hmm. what I see. Um, and whether it be that people told me that, whether it be that I felt an absence, whether it be that I just didn't feel good enough, whether it be I wasn't, whatever, um, that I, I think that spirituality starts there. You know, when I lose my sense of self, um, then I lose my ability to see my value and my worth. And once I've lost my ability to see my value and my worth, I become willing to hustle for it. Um, and that hustle looks different depending on what's going on. I look for validation. I look for um, feeling good enough. And if I can't or I don't, I look to numb it. You know, and nobody wants to feel like they don't fit. Um, and so we look for alternative things to make us feel whole. Um, and we struggle to see that our wholeness is already in there. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, so in, in terms of like what addiction looks like, many of us will seek out validation um, in the presence of other people. You know, I saw this thing the other day and it said, which I thought was so crazy, but it makes me think about spirituality because the guy was talking about where you spend your focus. And he was like, you know, if you focus on finding and seeking, you will never be whole. If you focus on finding and seeking, it insinuates that you're looking for those things outside of self, that external. Mm -hmm. But when you focus on becoming, then you are in a spiritual journey. So if I'm looking for balance and I'm looking for peace and I'm looking, you know, when I have my kids and they're back home or when I'm sober 90 days or when I got this job or when I finally get that car, or when I get this man that's going to treat me good, you know, when I do these things, I'll, I will be at peace versus saying I will become peaceful. And no matter what atmosphere is around me, I will always have that. And that was so powerful yes. in terms of spirituality for me. And because he said, mm -hmm. and really went on, and that's what I was saying earlier in this previous segment was, you know, what I surround, what I start to put into my mind will manifest. You know, if I am constantly surrounded by people who are like, oh, you're just going to get a good man. When are you going to start dating and When are you going to start doing that? Then I'm constantly thinking, hey, this is stuff that's external. But when I focus on listening to people like this man talked about the status of becoming, Mm -hmm. How do you become balanced? So no matter what happens externally to you, your car breaks down, you lose your job, whatever, it does not become a catastrophe. That's what spirituality is. Wow. How do I get to this place within myself um, where I'm good enough, I'm whole enough, um, whether you stay or leave, whether these people accept me or not, whether I get that promotion or that job, like I will always be okay. Boom. Do you pray? Absolutely. All day long. Teach my audience how to pray if they don't know how. Mm. So, I'm um, 
I'm not a religious person. I don't subscribe to a particular sector of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess in saying that, I say I'm a spiritual person, which means that my prayer life does, may not reflect a status quo. Um, I guess what I mean by that is I have a conversation with God daily. We walk and talk daily. I wake up and talk. I go to bed and talk and I drive and talk. And I sit across from a person who is bawling their eyes out and is in soul crisis wound. And I'm thinking, God, I don't know what to say to them. Help me figure that out. I I have no idea what to do or what to say. And that's the difference between me saying to a person who's sitting across from me, I love you, versus me laying on the floor next to them with our legs up on the wall and this comforting, calming pose that just with nothing to say. You know, because sometimes it's not about what we say. It's just about being present. And I can only be a vessel of that spirit. Yes, I pray all the time. Um, I pray, and it's funny because somebody told me several years ago, she's like, you need to start keeping a prayer journal. And I was like, that's weird. So she was like, seriously, she's like, while you write, you need to write your journal and, and prayer journal. And I was like, okay. She said, because you'll learn a lot about who you are when you go back and reflect. And I was like, okay. So I did. Um, I've been keeping a prayer journal for probably a year. And when I go back and read, I'm like, wow. I can see the status of where my life was at these different stages. Like, wow, it's so wild. I should do that. It, it's so cool. Like, I'm going to tell you, I got I've a notebook. I've never done that. I'm it's incredible. Down. And what, yeah. And what you can see, you know, it actually, it, it was this combination of two things happened. One, her and I had that conversation. And then probably uh, a year or so later, I watched that movie, um, The War, um, War Room is what mm-hmm. it's called. And the woman that. girl, oh, it's an amazing movie. It's it? an amazing movie. Because the woman who is in the movie, um, she has a, a prayer room and she calls it her war room. And she goes in and she writes. So it's a spiritual, it's a journal, but she writes on stickets and she puts it all of the walls in this room. Oh, and it's wow. just, um, it's an incredible movie. And it's all about the power of prayer. Now, when people think about prayer, it's not like, hey, me asking, you know, for me, prayer is a three point process. It's prayer, it's praise and it's meditation. It's not just, oh, I pray and I expect this power greater than me to do something. No, it's I pray. I give thanks because I know that that prayer is going to come to fruition. It might not look like I expect it to. You know, a lot of times my prayers have been answered in pain. Um, a lot of times my prayers have been answered in sandpaper, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, help me do this. And, and something was put what? into my life. Wait, did you just tell me that it doesn't always feel good when we get the answer? No, <laughs> most of the time it doesn't. And if you're a stubborn person, like yours truly, mm-hmm. I'm the most, and if you, if you're stubborn and you're, you're kicking and screaming and you're doing all that like it it's it sometimes my god is like okay we're gonna do this knockdown drag down again okay good let's let's you know because i'm of the belief system like either you sit down or you're sat down mm-hmm. you oh, know yeah and leaps of god faith are scary leaps of, leaps of faith are scary and, and i think the thing is is that most of us have this belief system and this is going to go back to like this you know i've been talking about invisible prisons lately yeah and one of our invisible prisons is that we have a belief system we think we're told what god should be we have an expectation on what God should be. And if I don't believe like everybody else, I feel like I'm wrong. And so I don't talk about it. And so when I stand up in front of my groups and I'll tell them, I don't have a picture of what your God is. I have no idea what that looks like. All I can tell you is, is that I have seen enough people who should be gone, who are present, kicking and screaming and walking this earth. I have seen enough miracles in my life to not ever question whether or not there's a miracle. I've seen enough of them. I have physically been present in the hospital room with somebody overdosing and seen them walk out of there weeks later when they should not have done that, should be brain dead. I've heard car wrecks. I've seen some stuff happen. One story in particular um, was a girl that was in the jail. Uh, She was at jail. I was working in the jail. And I was talking to her about her journey. And she told me, she said, you know, she was overdosing and dying. And she said, I was, it was bad. She's like, they called my family. And she said, I came into consciousness and my dad was like laying on me and he was crying. And she said, I've never seen my dad cry. And she said, I came into um, 
she's like, I kind of came in and out of consciousness. She's like, and I don't remember everything. I just remember that my dad was crying and he was begging God to take me and not her, take me and not her, please take me and not her. Oh my gosh. And she's like, well, I woke up and she's like, it was incredible. She said that weekend, um, she got out of the hospital. They got her a bed in a residential program. She said they drove two hours down. They dropped her off on the way back home. There was a car crash and her dad died. Stop. Oh my God. And she, her soul cried. Like it was so powerful. I have tingles all over oh, my it, entire it, body. It did. My soul was, I mean, and her soul cried. See, you got to understand, you know, when we talk about the spiritual foundation of addiction, people don't get here because they choose to use drugs and alcohol. Nobody says, when I grow up, I hope I'll become addicted and this becomes my life. That ain't what it's about. Mm -hmm. But you can't ever evaluate or assess the weight and the depth of somebody's pain, man. The soul can carry so much. You know, the soul can carry so much pain and hurt and anguish. The soul can carry so many wounds. You know, some of my folks have souls full of bullet holes, full mm -hmm. of abuse and neglect and domestic violence and, you know, just the abandonment and all that. Man, I mean, some of our folks come in here and their soul is so full of bullet holes, so full of them. And so the spiritual part of this program and people will say, and it's cliche, is to literally love somebody until they're ready to love themselves. But that's exactly what it is. You know, if you can get somebody to this point where they even start to consider loving self, man, you're doing some work. Um, and, and it's that stuff. How do you tell this girl? This girl wholeheartedly believes she is the reason her dad is dead. Wholeheartedly believes that. That was a bullet wound. Why did you? Why? Wow. Yeah. What do you tell somebody? Right. And so I think when, you know, and we have those people who are sitting back and they're like, I don't get it. Like, I think I say to folks, like our job is not to ignore your suffering. Our job is not to pretend like we're going to make it better. Our job is not to, you know, um, to continue to put band-aids on those bullet wounds. Our job is to love you until you can love yourself. I'm not telling you that you have to be perfect. I'm telling you that you're lovable and perfect. You know, I'm saying that spirituality is saying that, man, you know, I can start to see myself and my story has a purpose. This must be these people over here. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry we have doors opening and closing. <laughs> Your best advice for somebody that is embarking on a healing and spiritual journey. If you could, if you could, if you could only tell them like one phrase, one sentence. Hmm. I'm going to have to go with the only thing that comes to my mind, as weirdly as this might sound, is get a mentor. Get a mentor. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I know that probably sounds like weird advice, but I really, really think that what we put into our world is what manifests. I really, you know, the longer that I stay around, I realize that our lives, our experience, our environment, have a huge impact on what manifests so much so that we don't even notice it you know so much so you know i, I gave this example uh yesterday talking to one of my groups i said if you guys came to group and it was 110 degrees in here how long would it be how long would you be paying attention before you became so miserable that you clocked mm. down wow yeah and they were like Not everybody likes to participate in a spiritual journey. Some folks are comfortable with their heads stuck in the sand, but for those of us who have pulled our heads out and we became aware, I have to surround myself with other people because otherwise, being aware without guidance is miserable. It just that's is. the truth, man. I remember that's one of the biggest reasons that you know inspired me to become a life and spiritual coach and the, like the help other people was feeling very alone as an awakened person at the beginning of my spiritual journey and not feeling like I had anywhere to turn to or anybody to talk to or about it that understood. So that's, that's truth, truth right there. Well, really, I mean, think about it. So where do you go when you are spiritually sound, but you're not religious based? Right. Because some of the doctrine is not something that you subscribe to. 
because there's not a church that's like, hey, you're just... We're just going to talk about God. Right. Just open. We're awakened. I see pieces and glimpses in cultures. You know, um, I see pieces and glimpses in different um, countries of that, Mm -hmm. um, that feed spirituality, that feed more of a meditative practice um, versus like a Christian doctrine or a you know, whatever doctrine. Um, but I think that when you step back and you look at, okay, how do I have a spiritually grounded program? So many people have had a negative run in what they believe to be the God of their understanding that when they come in, they hear that they're like, no, right. What kind of God let me be abused? What kind of God killed my parent? What kind of God made me, you know, let me be neglected? What kind of God didn't answer my prayer when I begged him to make it stop? in terms of addiction or in terms of you know me going to jails what what kind of god allows that stuff to happen is the questions that we get yeah you know and, and i think when people come in with that perception um and they're told well you need to find a god to get better folks are like no i'll do it by myself wow so get a mentor i think that my yeah and so let me be very candid about what mentorship is though Um, Because if I am in a county or country or whatever, however far this will go, um, that that's not readily available. Um, The library is a beautiful thing. I mean, really, there are many people who have done this before me so that I didn't have to. Oh, yeah. That's that's what I used as my first mentorship was Mm -hmm. books um, that I found at the library um, by leaders that were... um, talking about the topics that I was interested in and that, you know, using the kind of language that was the only language that I had found on the internet that felt like it fit what I was going through. People on YouTube, people doing podcasts. I mean, everything was, and, and I think that's why I'm so like, why I love using the internet and media to do my work so much is because that's where I found the people that helped me. You know, they, and it, but it feels kind of far away when it's like that. Um, where would you go, you know, to find like that physical person if you wanted somebody that you could meet up with like in person? I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I think that some of those places, you know, uh, all of those places have a calling for a reason in terms of like, you know, I think about the 12 step foundation. That's that entire foundation was built off of two people wanting to not be in despair by Mm -hmm. themselves. Um, you know, in today's day, there are meetings and self-help groups for almost everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know a lot about celebrate recovery, but what I do know about them, um, is that it seems to be in a holistic and like all encompassing kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, but again, those are things that are tied to those foundations. I will tell you that for myself, I connect to certain things, but I don't necessarily subscribe to every piece of it. Right. Um, and so I think me going into it, knowing what I'm going to take and what I'm going to leave allows me to be open-minded when I get there. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I like, I might is. not take everything with me, right. but I'm looking for something. You know, I'm looking for that leadership. I'm looking for that mentor. So I'm not going in looking for a reason to be different. I'm going in looking for what I need. Right. So and going I take in that, with that mindset of, well, I'm going to go get a piece yeah, of my puzzle. And that this doesn't have to be my whole puzzle. Like, you can go to a meeting, you can go to a church, you can go to a a support group and right. it not have to be the end all be all to your spirit, spiritual journey. Right? Absolutely. But you can go and find a peace. Well, and that's true with, even within our families, maybe I can go to that cookout so that I can have that family unity, but I'm not going to take their negativity with me or I'm not going to take people, you know what I'm saying? I'm not going to take that criticism or I'm not going to, you know, um, because a lot of times I think we have this drive for validation of families. And the truth is, is not everybody's designed to be there for me. You know, sometimes our parents are just a vessel that brought us here. They were never supposed to parent. Um, you know, and a lot of times we'll go into that thinking, oh, I need them to do this. I need them to do that. Maybe I just need to be grateful you brought me here, but leave it there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't need you to validate my existence or I don't need, cause I'm going to get that from other people. Yeah. You know, and so I think when I started to give myself permission to find mentorship in all aspects, you know, because there are certain people that I don't go to about certain things because I know they're incapable of helping me. So having that discernment Mm -hmm. and having that 
ability to just take things that you need and to set that boundary of going, okay, you know, this is what I'm taking from this and I'm going to choose to not take that. Sure. Having that control over yourself. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, who we're going to talk to what about? Because I know that there are some people that just can't. And that doesn't mean they're good or bad. It just means that they're not capable. They just can't give me what I need. Um, And that's okay. You know, and I think that's that part. Um, I think becoming willing to look outside of what has been comfortable and normal. Um, Because the truth of the matter is, you may be the light. You might be the one that has to watch those videos and you might be the one that has to talk about Brene Brown and you might have, (laughs) and you might have to be the one that calls that friend who has never seen it and share that with them. Um, there's many people in my life who didn't start where I am, but now I have those conversations with them because it was my job to introduce it to them. Right. And so now they can provide new perspectives and old decisions. Be the light. Be the light. Mm -hmm. All right. Miss Stacy, if somebody that is listening to this is interested in the REACH program and maybe fits that or has somebody that they love that they want to share that information with, where would they go? Um, you can call us at 502-350-7368. Uh, we have a website, which is uh, reach Um And we have a Facebook. What's our Facebook site? Uh, www.facebook.com slash reach Rachel's our go-to person I have no idea <laughs> I wrote, I wrote I it. <laughs> um, they can they can reach out to you um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have contact stuff on here um, for yourself and so you're a good vessel um, you know I think uh, yeah I mean we're pretty easily accessible we're always on the move uh, and if anybody wants to come in just call us so thank you so much for thank letting you. me have you on the show. Stacy is my very first interview Woo-hoo! on the brand new I Am Raquel podcast. So this was, and, and she means a lot to me. So this was so, so very special. Aww. And I think this went amazing. And I love you. And I love you. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> bye guys. Bye.